0: Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds On Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, You've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so excited to tell you about an amazing online community called Peanut. The Peanut app helps women connect across all stages of life, and it's a safe space to meet women nearby and have conversations about meaningful topics from sex and relationships to IVF, pregnancy, first years of parenting, midlife, and beyond. Whether you are navigating fertility, pregnancy, motherhood, or menopause, the app provides access to a community that is there to listen, share information, and offer valuable advice. I know that when I was going through various pivotal stages and milestones in my own life, community and connection with other women are essential to keeping me feeling grounded and seen. And that is why I'm so glad you get to have access to all of Peanut's great resources, whether you're in a stage of your pregnancy journey or you're a new mom or you're simply hoping to connect with others who can validate and relate to the challenges that you're going through. And you can find me on Peanut and search for my very own group called Sexuality and Relationships with Dr. Alexandra Solomon. You can download the Peanut app for free from your app store of choice or head to peanut.app.link slash reimagininglove. The link can also be found in the show notes of this episode. That's peanut.app.link slash Reimagining Love. I am so thrilled to have Emily Beerley and Jennifer Chaikin, also known as the Shrink Chicks, on the podcast today. Emily and Jen are both licensed marriage and family therapists, co-owners of a private therapy practice called The Therapy Group, and co-hosts of the Shrink Chicks podcast. They believe in being down-to-earth, authentic, and transparent, which they bring into the therapy room with their clients, as well as to their podcast. Their mission is to make therapy more relatable and accessible, working to break down that clinical wall. Emily, Jen, and I had a lot of fun chatting together about our relational growing edges, and then we answered two great listener questions – One is from a listener who is afraid of losing herself in her relationship, and the other listener question is from a woman who spent years prioritizing her career and who now fears she's falling behind when it comes to love. Emily and Jen are so insightful and sharp while also being extremely approachable and down to earth. I know that you're going to glean some wonderful insights and also just really enjoy this conversation. Hi, Jen. Hi, Emily. Hello. We are so happy to be here today.
1: So thrilled. So happy to be with you.
0: The three of us are new friends. We met for the first time officially last week when I was a guest on your show, and now here you are a guest on my show, but I came away from our conversation like it was one of those conversations that stayed with me and I thought oh boy okay I got a future with these ladies I'm not letting them get too far away from me so I am really glad to have you here with me today.
1: The feeling was so mutual when we got off that call we were just so energized feeling incredible so we're really pumped about this.
0: The way that I like to start when I have guest experts on reimagining love is with this relational self-awareness question. And so I've got both of you. So I'm going to want to hear a little bit from each of you about how you would respond to this question. But are you ready for it? Yes. yes. What is a growing edge that you're currently working on in one of your important relationships? And what has it been teaching you lately? I'm the
2: extrovert. So I will typically answer questions before Jen. She needs always needs a little bit more processing time. Any time. I am a mom. Of a three year old little wonderful, wonderful person. And so the biggest thing I'm working on is expansion and tolerance. And I put these things together because I did not know until parenthood how much expanding I was going to have to do and how much tolerating I was going to have to do. And I don't say that in a way of annoyance. I say it in a way of one of the things with my child is their pure imagination and I am pure grounded earth. And so a lot of my, a lot of my life is, hello, are we here? Are we leaving? Are you here? And they're like, no, 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 I'm over here in this other reality and totally playing around. So tolerating that things are so not in my control the way that I have spent most of my life doing, and then expanding that that is okay, that there were all these other ways to live when I lived in a very rigid
0: way for much of my life for safety reasons. Yep. It's not just the challenges of having a toddler. You are, of course, because you're who you are, you're peeling back the layers and you're identifying like, okay, so why is tolerance, patience, expansion? Why is this a struggle for me as Emily? And you know that it's informed by something a little bit deeper, in addition to that objectively, sometimes toddlers are just annoying. They just do things their own way on their own timetable. But you know that for you, there's this added piece about like, oh, shit, Rigidity and and groundedness and having a plan was a way that I kept myself safe for a very long time.
2: That is what I have spent the past since becoming a parent, and especially with the pandemic of the amount of adjusting and assimilating we've had to do to figure out each thing. I think that it was a bit of a whirlwind for me the past three years. So I actively, intentionally, consciously working on all these things that matter um, also to break my own generational cycles
0: boy that's right so right this little baby came into your life before the pandemic i mean most of their life has been in the pandemic and which means that most of your parenting has been not in that network of other parents where you can do some of the like level setting in real time like how are you holding up how do you handle this you haven't had that larger fabric
2: And what we have learned also is the importance of community care with that, right? And that was something my daughter turned one the week before everything really shut down. And so I wasn't, and I was at the place where, like, okay, if I, like, once she turns one, I'm going to take her to the music classes and I'm going to do A, B, and C and go to the library. And then there was nothing anymore. And we did virtual story times and we did the best that we could with the situation. But, right, there was this loss of community, which I just believe in relationships, especially platonic relationships, are truly the things that make me into who I am. I love my partner more than anything, but I am a huge friendship and relationship person.
0: Uh, it was a big loss for you. Yeah. And it means that sh- <laughs> this little... This little person was like your teacher every day about like, okay, mom, how are you going to be patient with me today? Yes. How are you going to adapt today? Mm -hmm. You know, I was thinking the other day, so we had um, two high schoolers through the pandemic. Wherever this pandemic hit us, right, it it became a massive pause button in whatever development we were in, whatever development our family system was in. And so to have two high schoolers through the pandemic... Our kids did remote school and our, our son, Brian, who's 19, has some special needs. And so everything is always, you know, different for him and with him. And in the pandemic, it was just the whole remote schooling was really, really hard. And it was so much of like, it is 8.59. I have a therapy client at nine, but he's having a hard time like not of feelings about how am I going to get my thing done while supporting him with his thing. And he's home from school now. And he's taking an an online class at the community college where he goes to school. So I was helping him get set up with his technology. And it wasn't stressful. Like he was doing his thing. I was helping him get set up. I had a client, but I wasn't late. I wasn't stressed. But it was like my body remembered it. You know, my body remembered that feeling of when this was all we had, when this is what we had to do. And it was making me think about like the sort of collective trauma and these little nodes that we all have now through the pandemic of this, that not of whatever the feeling was. And it was just a feeling I hadn't, I hadn't had. And like that interaction of helping him get himself ready for class, it just took me right back there. And it was painful.
2: It's been such a bizarre time. And now in so many ways, it's like, okay, this doesn't exist anymore. And so I'm like, did I like, was the last two years a fever dream? (laughs) That's right. That's how it feels to me too. My father almost died from COVID. It was a very difficult time. I feel grateful every single day that he recovered. We received a call two days before Christmas 2020. And the doctor said, you have to, you know, we got an iPad for your dad. We were going to have you guys say goodbye. Oh, and Emily. Yeah. And he came out of it and survived and we couldn't believe it. And if I didn't have it, we'd sit here and talk about in some ways my relationship to Jen. Jen, we run a business together. We have 32 amazing clinicians that work with us. And I called Jen and told her and she said, don't talk to me. Don't do anything. Your only thing is to sit and like take care of yourself. And so that's what I mean about community care is that I wouldn't have gotten through that time and the doctors and the nurses. And I cannot even think of every amazing person that had to come together to give my dad a second chance. So this insane thing that oh, I sat there and had this traumatic thing. And then I watched my dad, you know, walk into a bar with no mask on now because he has vac- like, it is just this very bizarre thing yeah. that happened.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> so much to process in a short so- period of
0: time. That's right. Oh my God. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah. Right. And just holding on to all those layers, the grief, the gratitude, you know it just is so much Mm -hmm. and that's what we're I think that's what we're all doing right now it's like just like creating that that sense of like any kind of narrative coherence of where we were where we are where we're going like that's I think what we do that's what emergence is about it's like putting those pieces together and trying to make sense of it and that's I think that's what we're in right now Mm -hmm. oh I'm glad that your dad's okay my gosh oh me too Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jen.
1: So, I think the the thing that is top of mind for me and something I'm always working on in my relationship with my husband is being able to express myself and my needs in a pretty consistent way. I, I grew up in an environment where, you know, I learned to push my needs down or not really understand how I was feeling. And as a highly empathetic person, it's so much easier for me to focus on other people's feelings and emotions. And so something that has been really helpful in that process is first connecting with myself and saying, how am I feeling separate from other people? Uh, being able to create those emotional boundaries for myself, which is just a journey that I've been on for years. And in tandem with that, being able to set those emotional boundaries within my relationship, then being able to express to my partner, this is how I'm feeling and this is what I need. And I think so often we push those needs down, especially as women, you know, we kind of push those needs down to focus on others and take care of others. And I think really connecting with myself so that I can better connect with my partner is something that I'm always working on in my relationship.
0: And I can imagine because it's your growing edge, it requires him to also be adapting because the way that you talk to him, the way that negotiating any of the eight gazillion things that a couple has to negotiate, it goes differently now than it used to. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And I have to catch myself a lot because in my head I find myself saying like, oh, well, you know, I don't want this to happen. Or instead of expressing myself through maybe some sort of criticism of like, stop doing this, stop doing this, to be able to switch the verbiage to this is what I need and this is what I would really love in our relationship, like to almost change it from this is what I don't like to this is what I would really appreciate is also <laughs> something that I think has been really helpful. And, you know, we work with couples and I'll ask, you know, the a partner in a relationship, like, instead of saying what you don't want, what do you think you want? And so often they're unable to come up with it. They're like, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure.
0: Not that. I know I want not that.
1: Anything but what you're doing.
0: (laughs) That's right. And that sometimes isn't obstinance. It's not being critical. It just is actually a very different way of coming into relationship is like it starts with identifying something inside of me. It's just a really different, it's a really different orientation to self and other. Yes. Yes.
1: You know, that I think has to for certain people it has to really be a practice of being able to set that kind of emotional separation from other people. If you're used to taking on kind of other people's emotions, I think there's parts of it that have been very beneficial to me as a therapist and connecting in my relationships. But I think that there's a balance to find in that so that you're able to say, how am I feeling so that I can express this to my partner? Because also your partner deserves to know how you're feeling so that they can know what to give you or how to create more balance in the relationship.
0: And sometimes it requires, like when I think about this in my own life, like sometimes it requires me to say, I don't know, and to like pause, because sometimes it just, just takes a minute. It ta- It's an actual act of pulling back from reading everybody else, pulling back from thinking through what makes sense, pulling back from, the, the shoulds, there's a process that has to happen of slowing down, peeling back in order to like feel want, what does want, what do I want? That's a, it's very different.
1: And as Emily said earlier, I'm pretty introverted. So it takes me some time to really process things internally. So, and I think that's, you know, it's an important thing to know about yourself, something we know about our relationship you know, in business and Emily always knows that I'm going to take some time to process things and she's going to be much quicker to say, well, this is what I want. And this is how I see things where I have to say like, listen, you have to give me a day just to think about it, to process it. (laughs) And so I think in any important relationship, it's so important to first know that about yourself and then be able to communicate that. Because if you're in a relationship with someone who processes things in a completely different way, they might not be expecting
0: that. Do Emily and your husband bond over this? The What it what it means to love Jen and how you have to specifically love her in order to...
2: Have you guys talked about that specifically? Um, I don't know of those specific words because I wouldn't say Bill
1: uses. Your wonderful husband doesn't use that language. He's a little bit... It's really different to be in like a partnership with a therapist, right? Like a business partnership with a therapist <laughs> and then a non-therapist. So...
2: One of the things that's so magnificent to watch about your relationship, Jen, is you guys, you're very funny together. There's a lot of silliness. There's a lot of laughter in Jen's marriage. And I think that that is something Jen feels stuff so deep and so strongly that I think if she didn't have a partner that was able to keep things light, it'd be very hard for you to come out of a lot of days.
1: Thousand percent. That was so beautifully said. Yeah. You keep things really light in our relationship too, um...
2: There's something so unique. I mean, I know that we, um, when we talk about the idea of reimagining love, I also love the idea of reimagining love in your platonic relationships, right? Of like really knowing your friends and also witnessing the beauty that's their marriages. I think that we had like such a great conversation about social media and how so many people right now are getting their advice or information. I don't even want to call it advice, but like their information about relationships from Instagram therapy or from a 20-second TikTok um, or any of these different things, And <laughs> which we all have a lot of feelings about. We,
0: we may have to just do that whole conversation again because it was very <laughs>
2: right, healing. But it's all about getting rid of stuff and it's all about Like, oh, if you, this person doesn't work, cut them out of your life. And it's all about like, let go of this. It's all about subtraction. And that doesn't Uh, work for me so well. I like, what are we talking about? addition, do I need more joy? Do I need more laughter? Do I need more fun? There is this social media thing that's happening right now about like letting go of stuff. And one of the things that like I made sure to include in our wedding vows was every person here, your job is to help also redirect us towards each other. Of course, everything I'm saying doesn't work in an abusive relationship. Let's remember that. That's right. But we see this thing of people encouraging, you know, others to leave and, oh, screw him. You're better than him. Well, wait a second. Right. Right. Hold up. Yeah, what delight to turn towards your partner and also encourage and learn about your partner, your friends' marriages and relationships and getting to know them. But there's a lot of judgment. Yeah, you break up with somebody like, I hate that guy. Well, then guess what? When they're back together two seconds later, this is going to be a bit of a problem for you.
1: They're not hanging
0: out with you after that. Relationships are so unique. That's right. That was my first thing. You know, when, when Jen is talking about her growing edge and how she's stepping into better, clearer, more consistent articulation of her needs. The first thing I thought is how that means that she's introduced a different dynamic into her marriage and Bill is going to need, I suspect, a hot minute to adapt to a partner who shows up really differently. But I think that in the kind of clever, beautifully curated Instagram therapy that we often see, it's all about just ask for what you need without the understanding that as you start to do that, this whole system is shaking. You have just shaken the system. So there's another entire piece about the people you love learning how to love you differently as you heal and move. And you're right. I think that's the part we don't hear about. It's like either they can get you or they got to just cut them and move on.
1: Right. As opposed to having that patience for once you change something in a dynamic, your partner has to catch up or your relationship has to catch up in some way. And sometimes that might take saying your needs, Over and over and over again and saying there are times in which I have to say, listen, this is how it would be really helpful for me if you responded in this way to me, right? Like if I'm upset about something, if you just hug me and say it's going to be okay, that is what I need in these moments. I think so often we expect our partners and put a lot of pressure on our partners to just know what we need and just know, right? You've been with me for how many years and you should just know. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is we might need different things at different times in our lives or different emotions that we're experiencing. I just love the idea of being able to in those moments say like, Hey, right now in this moment, this is what I would really appreciate from you. Are you able to give that to me?
0: And rather than punishing a partner for not reading your mind, thanking them for the willingness to do the thing you just asked them to do
1: yes I think we unfortunately miss that so often to be able to say like I really appreciated what you gave to me just then right that like positive reinforcement in a lot of ways
0: (laughs) rather than (laughs) why did I have to ask for it or you should know by now. Yeah, the positive reinforcement, right? Like, I love that. Because when we're asking a partner to do something differently than they've done before or differently than they would do it or differently than what they would need if they were in our spot, it's an opportunity to celebrate. Like, thank you. That's so cool that you love me. That's how much you love me, that you are willing to try this different thing, to give me a thing that you don't need, to give me a thing that Mm -hmm. isn't your first language.
1: And I think sometimes we end up condemning a behavior that we wish to see more of by being like, oh, well, finally you responded to me in the ways, right? Like that we can get really snarky. Like, oh, you finally made it home on time. Instead of saying like, I am so glad that you made it, you know, home at the time that you said you were going to make it home, right? That we're so quick to be snarky about and condemn a behavior that we wish to see more of.
2: Well, I keep thinking about so many couples I've had where there's a moment where she, I, I'm talking about like, you know, I see this a lot in heterosexual and straight cisgender couples, right? Like we see this like very like heteronormative idea of she's dying for something from her husband and this hug, right? And then he finally gives in. She says, well, that was that so hard, Oh, and I can't tell you how often I see it. And in that moment, that snark is coming from such a need to push them away because it was too intimate. You gave me what you need, but I still don't really trust you. And I can't like literally take this in. Watch this interesting. And I feel like I see it all the time, especially in the office of them on the couch together where you're. Dying for closeness. This person is suffering. They want you. I need you. I want you near me. And then, oh, actually, if you come even slightly near me, I'm going to push you away with my snark and my passive
1: aggressiveness. It's so funny on a therapist's end because you're like, oh, they're, you know, this is the moment they're coming together. And then you hear the snark and you're like, no. <laughs> Why would you
0: do that to me? Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why would you do that to my heart? We work? were almost, that's right? That's right. <laughs> we were so close. <laughs> Then, right, you're like, okay, we'll <laughs> right. see you next week. That's, we're we'll, done. We'll try again. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> Emily is so spot on with that piece, right? It is so easy to be like, I don't have it, I don't have it, and then so hard to receive. And it is, it's like a, it's a practice because it's it's the need to create capacity to tolerate the closeness and the deservingness, right? Like, okay, so now you've given me the thing I need and oh shit, now if I have the thing I need, the next layer is I have to let myself feel like I deserve this thing you just gave me because now in you giving me the thing I need, I'm confronted with my deeper story. I don't don't even think I deserve it, where I don't have to focus on my own low deserving because all I've been doing for years is focusing on you don't give it to me, you don't give it to me, and so I can put it all on you, but now you are giving it to me and holy shit, I can't take it in because I'm a little bit ambivalent and unsure if I actually deserve it. Wow. And how much more
1: vulnerable is that to be able to say, oh, wow, that's actually something that I'm struggling with. It's so much easier to, to blame your partner, right? <laughs> so yeah. much easier to say, oh, this is you, this isn't me. But to, to really be confronted with that can be can be scary because it means that there's
0: some, some deeper work to do. We don't want us as therapists to be turned off or disappointed by the snark. We don't want the partner to then give up, right? Like, what the hell? Nothing is right. You're mad when I do and you're mad when I don't. We want to help the partner hold. Listen, you tried and I we love that you tried and you're going to have to probably try a number of more times while she works to really let herself trust you, let herself feel worthy of this. It's going to take some more practice. Mona Fishbane, you know, who wrote the foreword to Loving Bravely, and she's just a wise woman in this work. She talks about, you know, there's a path through the woods that you all have walked down 10,000 times, like a well-trodden path. This new, different way is like a little baby path, right? It's like green. We have to kind of build up this new path. And so it's going to take practice. But there's something about us as clinicians
2: of not being scared by that snark. I love a woman in anger. I like a stark. I like a passive aggressiveness (laughs) because you're telling me something and so many people are scared of it and you have used so many people to push that away. That doesn't scare me. And so I think that that is so important for us as clinicians to remember what we can do with that. The power that when somebody shows it off in the office, we can think like, oh man, like she, God, she was such a jerk to her partner. Or I can actually physically move my chair and sit right next to that person and say, What just happened? I want to come right next to you and align with you because you just felt something big. And as opposed for you walking out and then feeling shame that you had that snark, I want to meet you right there. And so I really want to invite everyone to not be so scared of the snark and the passive aggressiveness. As someone who has used that for a long time in their life and still struggles with it, there's also a lot of shame that comes after those comments. It's the one skill you use in the moment and the shame is deep. And so when somebody says that, we can run from them or we can run towards them.
1: And what an opportunity in those moments as you're saying, well, what just happened there for their partner to also see what's underneath the snark and the anger.
0: Exactly. And for them to not be scared away, for them to start to view the snark as, oh boy, you must really be hurting. And to not take it personally which is really yes, hard. Yes, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. And to model, right, that the outside of the room, the partner can say, well, what just happened there? What's going on for you? In couples therapy, it feels a little safer to be able to do that, but to eventually be able to bring that home into their relationship.
0: Ooh, ooh okay, well, let's dig into these questions because I we picked two for the two, because there's two of you, <laughs> there's two questions, one question for each, but just we're going to do two. And I think that they really fit together like a little bookend. So our first listener question comes from Dixie in the Netherlands, and she uses she, her pronouns. And Dixie writes, I am in love with the sweetest guy on the planet, but I broke it off at least five times because I get scared of losing my independence and of getting hurt. I grew up as a lonely girl who took care of herself. I really want it to work this time. How can I stop myself from running away? Here's
2: where I just, gents to make fun of me because I brought this up yesterday. One of the things I hate about listener questions is that I want so much more information and I want to hug you and kiss you Makes and sense. just hold you, right, Dixie? <laughs> so my first thing that comes up is the exploration of that loneliness as a child. Did you have to solve things on your own? And what's it like? You talk about this loneliness and you clearly care so deeply for this person. I want to know what it's like to let someone else in your life to let someone else be there for you. Because if you learned in your childhood, that's how you handle
1: things is alone. It might feel like so much discomfort to let somebody in. If growing up, letting other people in wasn't safe for you to, if you developed this way of taking care of yourself, as a mechanism to survive, then you might be bringing that survival mechanism into adulthood. And it was something that very much worked for you when you were a child, something that really helped you survive that is no longer serving the same function. Just as human beings, we like to feel comfortable, right? And if taking care of herself, being alone is something that maybe was comfortable and safe to pull herself out of that and say, listen, I want to let someone in. I want to be able to have this relationship where I can lean on this person. That's going to feel uncomfortable for you. And it's going to be challenging. And I think that we so often run to that comfort as opposed to say like, what do I actually want in this situation? Knowing that this is going to be uncomfortable for me
0: hmm Both of you are really normalizing and validating the actual, like the discomfort is real. The discomfort isn't because she's weird, she's broken, she's overreacting. No, the discomfort is actual discomfort. Like that makes sense. And so it's, you're inviting her into a different relationship with the discomfort, right? Greeting the discomfort, welcoming the discomfort, honoring the discomfort, Rather than sort of judging it or using it as an indicator like, uh oh, I'm uncomfortable, something must be wrong. Of course, it's uncomfortable.
2: So the question was, how do I stop running away? So I guess they're right right, this has happened five times before. I would love to know what is the thing that makes you run? What is right? So you, So she's tolerating a certain amount of distress up until a certain point, what is it? Is it the first time if they the person sets a boundary? Is it if they say no? Is it if they're too loving and too kind, right? Like, I would be very interested of like, what's the catalyst towards these five times before?
0: Mm-hmm. I think the sort of easy hypothesis is that it's conflict. I think the subtler hypothesis that I think we would all be looking for is, is it actually closeness? I suspect that for her, there's the inevitability, there's an inevitability around... Well, first of all, there's an inevitability around loss of independence, right? Because it's not, she has, as you both have named this independence and she named it. What I love is that Dixie is like way ahead of the curve because she already is honoring her little girl, right? She's got her little girl tucked in right here. She's like, here's my lonely little girl. And she's having a really hard time. So I love that she's got those dots connected and she's right that loving this man does shift independence. She does have to move from fierce independence to interdependence. So she's right about that. And in loving him, she will forever risk losing him. And so she does forever risk getting hurt. Like that fear of getting hurt is not resolvable, because even if she doesn't lose him through a divorce or a breakup, She's always at risk of losing him through death, right? Like that is just like the existential pain of loving all the people that we love is that we could always lose them. So there's something so not resolvable, but carryable, right? She's got to be able to carry it, but not resolve it.
2: It's such a paradox, right? Like the paradox of relation, (laughs) of all relationships, which is that like all the best relationships you have to be willing to risk it all of say the truth of say the honesty of say the like, You drive me nuts when you do this. And also like to say these really uncomfortable things, it is such a paradox. And also, I just think it's just so not accurate for the way most of us were taught about relationships, because how
1: we've been taught is not ideal for many of us. Right. Well, and I think, you know, the expectation that we have, like what relationships should look like, right, that we got from media or social media has also left us with these kind of unfair expectations of what our own relationship should look like. And so if they're not meeting that, you know, we might feel like, oh, this is too much of a risk. I got to go. I got to protect myself. And so I love that we're normalizing a lot of this.
0: So maybe what we would love her to do is really, in addition to honoring this little girl, honoring the lonely little girl and like comforting the shit out of her because she needs it and deserves it. And, sh- and that little girl is exactly who got Dixie to where she is today. I also wonder about enlisting Dixie's partner and like just being really honest with him of like, listen, for everything that is magnificent about loving me, <laughs> loving me also means like working with me on this fear I have of loss of independence? And can the two of them work together to ensure that she really gets to feel spacious and maneuverable in this relationship, right? So that she gets to really feel that she is her own woman and she belongs within this partnership. Like can the partner, can he be an ally to her in this?
2: Oh, I love that. I mean, truly, it's like one of these ideas of like, What do I get? Right. The the relief that she feels when she's run away these five times. I want to know how we bring that relief into the relationship. Is it that I actually need a week off once a month? Is that I actually need to sleep in separate bedrooms? Is that I actually need to have a space that you're not a part of? Right. Like I would be very interested of like what's working as opposed of us villainizing this running away. What's working about it? And then how do we use that in the relationship, so she can get that need met. Because clearly there's something that she needs, and there is nothing wrong with that, Dixie.
0: Yes. But what's the origin story about somehow she's wrong for what she needs? She's shameful. I don't know if it's like a woman shouldn't need this, a wife shouldn't need this. If I'm a, you know, so are there some gendered things there? But yes, I love that, Emily, that like building off of the need rather than trying to change the need. How can this marriage be big enough to hold all of Dixie's? all of Dixiness, all of what it means for Dixie to be Dixie. Yes.
1: (laughs) And it might mean breaking down the idea of like what a traditional marriage might look like.
0: Totally. Right. And there may be some of what triggers the breakup is just, it's really hard for her to let herself feel good. Can she just work on some little practices, like little ways that she lands sweetness, little ways she lands pleasure so that she's just like, Every day, like a muscle just growing her capacity to like let herself be loved, savored, cherished, you know, in pleasure. And that that actually might be a practice. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, let's do our other one. Dixie, we are hoping we are with you. I think I love that question because she's so far from alone in that, right? That question of how do I – I was teaching my last Marriage 101 lecture a week or so ago and a a woman in the class raised her hand and she's like, how do I avoid losing myself in my marriage? So that whole fear of loss of self is just very real for women. And it comes from generations of, you know, patriarchal, heteronormative notions of what it means to be a woman, you know, a wife.
2: I think there is a part of we, many of us watched our moms suffer in some ways and feel sometimes resentful of their partner's And sometimes we saw that they had another version of their self they never fully got to meet. And I think there has been something about millennials and elder millennials of saying, I almost can't let someone else in because I watched them take it away from one of my parents. And we do this thing, I think, sometimes where we overcompensate, like, there's no way I could be over here, so I better make it all the way over here. And like, what's ways that we can like allow that to inform, but still not react to that?
0: Totally. Okay, listener question number two is from Deanna in Florida, who uses she, her pronouns as well. She writes, I am 37. I have been very focused on my successful career for the last 10 years. Now I finally feel ready and I feel a longing for a relationship that would lead to a marriage that would lead to a child or children. But I feel immense self-pressure from watching my friends who are already well into the stage of life. And family, strangers, media, making me feel like I am behind, that I'm running out of time, et cetera, to find someone, especially if I want children. How do I keep the faith that the right relationship will come along without this background noise and the challenge of meeting people in a largely retirement-focused area from weighing me down?
1: I first want to commend her for the recognition that the background noise is just that, right? That we are consistently infiltrated with this background noise of, it's, it is so easy to compare yourself to. And so I think to really recognize it, first and foremost, as background noise and say, well, how do I want to set boundaries with myself, whether it's going on social media Or if people are coming up to me and saying, well, when are you going to get in a relationship and when are you going to have kids, right? What kind of boundaries do I want to set with those people in my life so that I can focus on myself, what feels right for me? Because I think that those boundaries are going to be really necessary in order to take care of your own mental health in this process, because that's very that background noise is very
0: real. It's very real. She's not making that up.
2: One of the things that comes up for me is I want to also remind Deanna, I, my mother had me at 43 and I'm basically perfect, so. Um, perfect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so she's young. Your mom would be like, are you kidding me, Deanna? You got yes, yeah, Yes, yes.
2: My mom would be like, what do you mean? You got plenty of time doing six years. Um. So my mom had her first trap, my brother at 41, me at 43. So I'll tell you, I'm like, it, it's not so bad, not so bad taking your time. But I like what you said, which is like, it was a choice to focus on career. That isn't bad. I love that for you. I think about the regret you may have had if you didn't put that first for yourself, because that was really important. She knows the right track for her. She's been doing it. The noise is what's getting in the way of her intuition. So when you talk about this idea of how do I keep the faith? How do I have hope? You've already done it, Deanna. You are so doing this already. You've done it for yourself. And if you can reduce that noise and tolerate some of that uncontrollableness, you are so in tune with yourself to get to where you wanted to be these last 10 years. And I think that is so amazing for you. And like, I think you have to stick with that, right? So that faith is about, I knew what was right for me then, and I know what's right for me now. And so it might not look the way of all of these other people but when I choose to stay on my path, to listen to myself, to have some of that intuition, I think that that is just so fabulous and, and the right person's going to come at the right time. And it might be frustrating as hell with one million horrible dates and crappy app stuff. And like, yes, But also I remind myself now, like I say to clients often that are really struggling with long-term singledom, but you probably could be married right now. Like you could probably go choose anyone. You could get someone to marry because you're fabulous, but would you want them to? And so when you're sitting here thinking about it, you knew the intuition for your career, let it be the other person too. And also if the children thing is significant, you can also think about how you want to do that if you would want to do that on your own. Or there's all of these other ways, but there is this term of compulsive heteronormativity that it has to look this certain way. It has to be done by 35. We have to have the kids together. One of the coolest things about queer culture which is the ability to be part of counterculture,
0: and I think that's awesome. That's right. Well, right, and that way you are inviting. We don't, and we actually don't know who Deanna dates. But if Deanna is straight, then she does have an opportunity to kind of queer her vision of partnership, right? And she, she gets to allow herself to not be so beholden to those scripts and if Deanna is if Deanna is herself queer then then she may she already maybe has that like the intuitive sense of like oh I could be on all these different kinds of paths but there still is like that overlay for sure of compulsive heteronormativity right mm-hmm. I was thinking about also in addition to everything that both of you are saying which I think is so spot on and so generous and generative for her is that she can leverage like these 10 years of career success. She can, I want her to like really leverage that savvy and bring it to how she dates. Like, can she let herself date with whatever kind of strategic resourcefulness, clarity that she has brought to her work world, right? Like, we just want her to make sure she's staying in her power around dating. Like, I think probably at this point, maybe maybe for the last decade, situationships have actually worked really well for her, right? Like kind of low demand, low expectation, relationships perhaps have worked because she's been so focused on her career. But I would suspect that she's going to want and need relationships with partners who are really willing to have forward motion, progression, you know. So I would want her to just really like let herself see reality for what it is with whoever she's dating and be clear about, listen, I dated for a different reason for all these years because I really didn't want marriage and children, but I'm dating for a pretty different reason now, which does not mean I'm expecting it to happen on a timeline, but just that I want it to be in the realm of the possible. I want her to be unapologetic about that.
1: I love that. And I think there's so much fear around that at times of being really honest about this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. And for her to have that clarity in dating, to be able to be very forthcoming about like, this is what I'm looking for, I think is really
0: important. And especially if she's straight, I was thinking about, I actually pulled the numbers out. If she's straight, I want her to be unafraid of, like she might need to dismantle some ideas of what the man she dates ought to earn, right? Because she's she's potentially kick-ass, high income. I was looking at how in 1960- Only 7.1% of women married somebody who was less well-educated than themselves, where in 2015, 32% of women married a man who was less well-educated. In 1960, 3.8% of women married a man who earned less money than they do. But in 2020, 50% of women are married to a man who earns less money than they do. So I don't know if that's a limit. Like she may need to really expand her idea of what a male provider looks like. And can he provide emotional support when she provides more of the financial security? And what might she need to be busting up and queering in terms of her ideas of heterosexual partnership in order to?
2: I have such a significant memory of my childhood of my grandmother saying to me it's just as easy to marry a rich man as a poor man emily so make sure you choose a rich man and it should be said for the record now that my husband is stay-at-home dad and i make all the money um and (laughs) (laughs) but when that's ingrained from a young age about what this should look like and who you should expect i I do think it it can um Blood and make you start putting on some filters of people. And one of the things we do with a lot of sex therapy work is we do something called sexual scripting where we talk about like what's the point of sex, right? You probably have used this before like, well, what's the point of this, right? And I use that a lot with like what's the point of having kids and what's the point of marriage and what's the point of relationships for you if we're to really zoom out here. And so I think that Deanna could also use that as well. What is really the point of relationship for you? Reduction of the noise. Is it companionship? Is it because I want to share the bills. I'm not putting any judgment on what that is. That's for all of us to decide on our own. But
0: do we take time to really talk about what is the point of this all for us? Yep. Okay, Deanna. Again, I think that Deanna's concerns land for a lot of people. And I think there's such richness in... Question and how it really allows us to talk. We talked about everything from like intuition to deconstructing heteronormative scripts. Yeah, there's a lot in there that's worthy. We're of-
2: therapists. We have a lot of follow up questions. We-, uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: we have so many. I've so we could we could dig into this yeah. for a long time. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, Emily and Jen, I love 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 talking to the two of you
1: now that we have already been on each other's podcast, we're not gonna be able to talk to each other every single week now, right? And now it's been a (laughs) weekly thing.
0: It's very sad. I
2: think we have a a virtual lunch and coffee day coming up for the three of us because what
0: great conversations to have. I love it. So if this is um, for Reimagining Love listeners, if this is their first exposure to the shrink chicks, how can people get to know the two of you more and learn more about your work in the world?
2: You can check us out anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, wherever your podcasts come from at Shrink Chicks. It's Jen and I. Uh, Lots of wonderful guests like yourself. Terry Real was on last week. Lots of wonderful people to expand your mind, to talk all about different types of relationships. If you're interested, we also own a practice called The Therapy Group. We are in California, Florida, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania, and New York. If you're interested in working with one of our Badass, down-to-earth clinicians. We highly recommend you reach on and We'll help you get matched or help try to help you find someone else in your area, so you can check us out. Also, you know, on the Grams, on the Facebook, and all the places at Shrink Chicks or the therapy group, <laughs> the wherever, all that the stuff that we're on now, and uh, we're constantly expanding <laughs> the interwebs.
0: We will link all of that in the show notes so that you are super accessible to our audience. Good. Ah. Oh. Thank you both so much. Thank
1: Thank you you. for having us. Thank you
0: for having us. Thank you, Emily and Jen, for such a rich conversation. I absolutely loved talking through those listener questions together. You can find links to the Shrink Chicks podcast and other ways to connect with Emily and Jen in the show notes of this episode. We have also included the link to the Shrink Chicks episode that I was a guest on if you'd like to hear another conversation between all of us. Until next time, be well. Do you have a relationship question that you want to have answered on the show? Follow the link in the show notes of this episode to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. I can't wait to hear from you.